say good morning. I'm so glad you're here today. Our scripture passage for today is all about waking up. I don't know how you are. Turn to Isaiah 51. Uh, I don't know how you are when you wake up. uh, Some of you wake up fresh as a daisy. Uh, How are you when you wake up? Maybe I should ask your spouse, how are you uh, when you wake up like you've poked an angry she-bear? How many of you, when you get up, are like ready to go? And sometimes you even wake up before the alarm clock. Others of you, it like, others of you, others of us are a bit groggy when you wake up, like don't even know where you are kind of wake up. For me, it's like I get up in the morning and I mean like a zombie emerging from a coma. So there's layers upon layers. Um, I'm in this little running group and we, we run together in the mornings. And uh, on the mornings where we run right outside my house is where we meet. Um, they'll, they'll tell you, um, shocker. So I'm, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a talker. And ex- <laughs> except on these morning runs, there'll be like, two miles where I won't say a word and everybody knows I'm not up yet. I try to sneak in miles before my body knows I'm awake. It's great. But my body wakes up by mile three. It's like, hey, what are we doing? Sorry, you're already out. So, the, the, you know, you wake up. Here, here's what I got to do every morning. Here's what I got to do. I don't know about you. Here's what I got to do. I got to wake up and look around. I got to like, get my bearings. Where am I? Okay. I got to wake up and look around. I got to get dressed and I got to go. Got it. I got to look around. I gotta get dressed, I gotta go. If you can imagine those three steps in the morning, you've got the outline for our passage today. Isaiah 51 and 52, if you're a note taker, wake up and look around, (laughs) wake up and get dressed, wake up and let's go. That's it, that's what this passage, God is talking to his precious children who are in Babylon, they're in exile, and he's given them comfort through the prophet Isaiah, prophesying this 150 years in the future, He's telling them this is what's going to happen. Wake up and look around. Wake up and get dressed. Wake up. Let's go. Start in verse 1. First, wake up and look around. Get your bearings. Okay, where are we? Verse 1. Listen to me. Who? You who have the proper religious pedigree. Is that what it says? No, no, no. Listen to me. You who grew up in church. No. Listen to me. You who are ethnically Jewish only. No, no, no. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. That means God's available right now for everybody. There's no group of people that God's heart is not, his his desire is not to save. You you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. You you say, well, I didn't grow up in church. I don't have a religious background. I don't have have the right pedigree. Hey, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. Does that mean you're perfectly righteous? No, it's what you're chasing after. What's the trajectory of your life? You who seek the Lord. If some, you, know, you invite somebody, hey man, why don't you come with me? Why don't you come to First Baptist on a Sunday morning? We have this 9.30 service, why don't you come? Man, I don't know. I don't know if I'd fit in there. Why not? I've never been very religious. Really? Like, what are you telling me? Well, are you telling me you're a sinner? Yeah, that's it. I'm a sinner. Well, good. Because it turns out being a sinner is not a disqualification for following Jesus. It's a prerequisite. Like, that's the only kind of thing he can save is a sinner. That's all we got here is rescued sinners. So anyone, it's not like God's like, well, I'm going to just, God is no respecter of persons. I'm just going to save this group. It's my desire to save this group, and I don't really want to save this group, people. I want them. I don't want them. No, seek and ye shall find. 
Listen up, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. What's he say? Look, look back, look to the rock from which you were hewn and the quarry from which you were dug. What a, what a great image. Look to the rock from which you were carved out of. He goes all the way back to Abraham. Look at verse two. Look to Abraham, your father, to Sarah who bore you, for he was but one when I called him that I might bless him and multiply him. What's his point? Oh, Israel, look back to stay on track. There you go, there's a little sub point. For you who are note takers, you will appreciate what I've just done. I've given you Roman numeral one. Wake up and look around. Now sub point A, look back to stay on track. He's telling Israel, look back, consider, you were once not a people, and I made you a people out of nothing. That's exactly what 1 Peter 2 says. Once you were not a people. Hey, First Baptist Coleman, you still remember what it felt like when you got saved? Look back to stay on track. What was it like when you were lost and helpless and hopeless? Huh? Has he not gotten you out of some jams? Has he not gotten you out? Has he not delivered? Look at the faithfulness of God in your life. Part of the reason I know you're going to be just fine is because you always have been just fine. What happened in the end? God delivered. God's got it. Look back to stay on track. Look to the rock. It's interesting that he looked to the rock from which you were hewn. Look to Father Abraham. Abraham was, by the way, um, uh, it's interesting that that image, uh, remember when Jesus gets in, in this tiff with the Pharisees in John 8, and, he's, and, and they're saying, you know, you're not from Jesus, you, you, I, mean, I mean, you're not from God, you don't know anything, and uh, how dare you say, he says, you're slaves to sin, if you would know the truth, you shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free, and they're going back and forth with this, and, and um, the Pharisees tell him, how can you say we're slaves, we've never been slaves to anybody, we have Abraham as our father, and Jesus basically says, don't, don't go trying to pull rank saying you have Abraham as your father. He says, and he uses of all the images, he says what? He says, I can tell you, God can make a child of Abraham out of what? God can make a child of Abraham out of these stones right here, out of these rocks. I wonder if um, when Jesus said, I wonder if in Jesus' quiet time that morning, he had read Isaiah 51, 1 and 2. Consider the rock from which you were hewn. God can make a child of Abraham. God saved Abraham, after all. He wasn't a Jew when God saved him. He was a Gentile pagan, and he called him a nation. He was Abram, he called him, and he saved you. You were a pagan. I wasn't a pagan. I was raised a Southern Baptist. You're further proving my point. (laughs) You were raised a pagan. Why? What's the definition of pagan? A pagan is someone who worships the gods and goddesses of created things. That's every single lost person. We worship the the creation. creation rather than the creator. We had idols, and what did God do? He delivered us. And as 1 Peter 1, chapter 2, 1 Peter, chapter, 1 Peter 2 <laughs> it says, you were once not a people, and I called you a people out of nothing. Look back. Does that not warm your heart? You remember when you were saved? You remember when you, and not only did he save you, he, he's done some incredible miracles in his life. Hadn't, hadn't he? Hadn't he done some delivering? Look, skip down to verse 9. That, 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 that shapes their prayer. Awake, awake, they cry out to God. Put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Rahab is a mythological goddess that was so closely associated with Egypt that eventually Rahab was like codenamed for Egypt. She had this dragon form. He's saying, didn't you get us out of Egypt? And when we came to the, to the Red Sea, was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, 
who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? God, we need an Exodus 2.0 here. We're in Babylon, oh, and we need, to be, we need to be rescued. That's what happens. When you look back, part of the reason, look back and stay on track. When you look back at all that God has done in your life, it shapes your prayers for today. You say, God, do what you did. Oh, I remember how you saved here, and you did this, and you did that. Yes, and it fuels our faith for today. No, 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 no matter what you're, you're facing, you need to understand. No matter what you're facing, if, whatever you're facing, you need to understand, that's just your latest problem but that is not and has never been your greatest problem because you've never had a greater problem than being separated from God and bound for hell that's the greatest problem there is to be lost separated from God and bound for hell what's my point if he saved you from your greatest problem he can save you from your latest problem does that make sense he saved you didn't he he's going to get you through he's going to see you through to the end so look back to stay on track that's a good rhyme. Let's keep it going. Look ahead to overcome dread. Two for two. For the Lord, for the Lord, come, look, look, not look back to stay on track, but also look ahead at his prophecies. Go back to verse three, um, and I'll show you some look ahead in this chapter. Look ahead to stay on dread. Here's what's coming. The Lord comforts Zion. He comforts Zion, you know, is a, a nickname for Jerusalem, the, the, the city where he's going to bring them back. They're in, they're, they're in Babylon. He wants them to go home. He wants them to go back to Jerusalem. He comforts all her waste places, makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. Guys, it's, there's coming a day when Jesus, his kingdom, it's going to be like it was before the fall. Verse 4, give attention to me, my people. Give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. Everybody's talking about justice right now. There's an election coming up. What's right? What's wrong? What's everybody's longing for justice? They may not know it, but what they want is the kingdom of God. They don't know that that's what they long for, but that's exactly what Isaiah prophesied. Look at the next verse. That is literally a fulfillment of the prophecy. Look at verse five. My righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out. My arms will judge the people. The peoples, remember, are the Gentiles, the nations. And over and over in Isaiah, the coastlands, he's always talking about the coastlands. He's not talking about having a beach house. When he says coastlands, he's saying this is the ends of the earth that he can imagine. This is the farthest reaches of the universe. And he says the coastlands, watch this, the coastlands hope for me and for my arm they wait. Is that not a word for 2020? Look at the news. Go on social media. Literally, what are people crying out for? Justice. There's so much injustice in the world. And there's this election and there's this virus and there's ah. Uh, and everybody's talking, what we need, we need healing. We need restoration, we, racial reconciliation. We need justice. And this group's not being just. This group's not being just. What are, what, what are they doing? They're longing. They, don't, they, don't, they may not know these terms. They may not say it this way. But what they're really longing for is the kingdom of God, the kingdom to come. That's it. The coastlands hope for me. They, for, it's for me they're waiting for. They may not even know it yet. That's what's coming when Messiah comes. He came once as a little baby, born in a manger. When he comes the next time, no one will miss it. A lot of people missed it the first time. Nobody's going to miss it. Oh, and when he does, drop down to verse 11. And this is a great theme throughout Isaiah. All this, 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 this Eden-like restoration of justice, y'all, and when it comes. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing 
everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. When his kingdom come and the whole world is set to rights, y'all, we are going to wear joy on our heads like a party hat. Everlasting joy. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And look at this last part. Sorrow and sighing are not just going to be gone. They're going to run for their life. You got a loved one who uh, struggles with mental illness? Are you like me? We know people, friends, family. Maybe you. Uh, Depression. uh, Anxiety. Suicidal thoughts and tendencies. Can you rejoice with me for just a moment? In, In all that darkness, can you rejoice with me? That there will come a day when depression has to run for cover. It's going to be gone. It doesn't belong here anymore. you got to go. And it will run away. And everlasting joy will be on our heads. That's what's coming. Mm. Well, so look back to stay on track. We're, just, we're still in first point, right? We're looking around. Look back to stay on track. Look ahead to overcome dread. Why not? And look around, they're going down. Here's the <laughs> Here you go. All these worries. All, what, about the pers- what, about the, what about those who are persecuting us? What about, in the case of Israel, the Babylonians, in the case of God's people today, what about all those who would you know, make fun of you for standing up for Jesus, who are going to oppose you? What about all the haters? What about all the, the, the disease and the virus and all these institutions that are, seem like are set up against us? God's saying, don't worry about them. Look, 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 look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. I... I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man? Why, what, what's man? Man who dies of the son of man who's what? Made like grass and have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. And, oh, and you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy. Oh, please, wh- wh- where's the wrath of the oppressor? God is saying, I know you feel persecuted. I know, but all these things that are coming against you, look around, they're going down. Man is grass, like grass. The wrath of the oppressor, I know you fear. Fear of man is a big deal. When I say fear of man, what do I mean? Fear of man's a big deal. You fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor. That's literally true for some of you. Because you have not met the approval of some person, it works on you all day long you continually fear the wrath of the oppressor i wonder if this verse is not amplified in 2020 because of social media now everybody in the world can comment on what you said and some of you you're like this you could have 99 people who are completely in agreement with what you said one person said something negative or nasty and what are you going to focus on all day long not just once continually all the day it gets in you. And, it, you know, your boss said that thing or whatever. God said, don't worry about that. Don't worry about them. Why? Because when you're worrying about them, you're belittling me. You have forgotten the Lord, your maker. Now, this is a very interesting insight to me. For the most part, these verses make sense. Why are you fearful? The oppressor and his wrath. Why shouldn't you be afraid? Because God made everything. He's permanent, whereas all of them will wear out. But there's a glitch in the text, in my opinion. Go back to verse 12, if, if you can. Rewind one, one verse, you'll see it. They, they work together, 12 and 13. How do we normally think of fearful people? What's the root of fear? Are you like me? When I think normally of someone who is fearful, cowering, weak, 
helpless, trembling, timid, lowly, anxious, crying. And sometimes those things cause fear, but not always. Not in every case. That's not what God appears to be saying in these verses. None of those things are the cause of fear. It's not, it's not that you're shy. It's not that you're timid. It's not that you're bashful. It's not that you're an anxious personality. It's not any of that. The Bible speaks to those in other passages, but not here. The cause of fear in verse 12, what's, what's he say the cause of your fear is? Hey, I'm God. I, I comfort you. Who do you think you are that you are afraid? What's the cause of fear? Pride. Your arrogance is why you're so scared. Now, that's a new insight I had never thought about until these verses. That, that, that blew my mind. I never thought about that. Pride is the cause of fear. In this verse, not, not every time, but right here. It's your arrogance. It's your pride. Why? Because you... you if you've got to be in control and you've got to run the universe and you've got to be in control of everything, God's saying, then you should be scared because you are a very lousy universe runner. But if you can let God control the universe, you're humbling yourself. You're saying you're in control. You can be humble. Your fears go down. The reason you're afraid is you've forgotten the Lord. It's, it, it's, your, it's your arrogance that, that sets yourself up that you are so important that you even have a right to be afraid. I never thought about that before. It reminds me of a story. I was at a conference with a South African minister and this South African preacher made this analogy about an ant who happened to crawl onto the back of an elephant and there was some sort of disturbance causing an elephant stampede can you imagine and this elephant begins thundering across the safari and as he thunders and rumbles I mean everything all this destruction and trees are falling he comes to a rickety old bridge and he clambers across this this bridge leaving a wake of destruction and dust and just as he crushes the whole bridge under the weight just as he crosses the bridge explodes and falls down later that night the ant was sitting around with all his buddies and that ant said you will not believe the ruckus I caused today he said, who are you, little ant on the back of an elephant? Who are you to think that you are in control of all these things? Have you ever thought about that? Your fear, trace it back. Consider in your own heart, trace it back. Is there some arrogance before the Lord? Is there some pride? That may be a, that may be a clue for you. That may be a help to you as you try to be self-aware, as you try to think about your own fears and where they come from. I'd never thought about that before as one possibility being pride. Well, Israel, I, look. It, having said all that, there's no doubt you've been in trouble for a long night. You've been in exile. Eventually, they would be in exile about 70 years. You, now, look, there's no mistaking. You put yourself in this position. You send your way into exile. But that long night is over. Wake up and look around. Look at verse 17. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of of staggering. Do you see that in verse 17? The image here is Israel is like a drunk old widow with no husband and no kids to help her. She's the, the cup she drank was God's judgment, right? He used Assyria and then later Babylon to judge her, and she has now passed out in her filth. She has no one to help her. But verse 21, God rescued her. Look at verse 21. Therefore, hear this, you who are afflicted, you who are drunk, but not with wine, right? No, you're not, you're not physically, it's an image. Thus says your Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. That is a massive setup 
for the quote. Thus says your Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Man, there's like four things. That's a sermon right there. I won't preach it today, but I'm, I'm coming back for you, verse 22, one day. Behold, I have taken from you the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath. You will drink no more, and I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who've said to you, bow down, we may pass over. And you've made your back like the ground and the street for them to pass over. In other words, these people that are literally walking all over you, what am I going to do? I'm going to take the cup of wrath out of your hand, and I'm going to put that cup of judgment into the hands of these evil, wicked enemies. Look around, they're going down. You got it? Wake up, get your bearings. Everybody got it? That's the longest part of my morning. That's the longest part of the message. It's just getting, where am I, right? Look back to stay on track. Look ahead to avoid dread. Look around these things that are worrying you and bothering you. Look around, they're going down. The world and all its enemies going down. What did I tell you the next thing was? After you look around, get your bearing, get dressed. Wake up and get dressed. Chapter 52, verse one. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Isn't this great? God turns the tables on him. You, earlier, you told me to wake up and put on strength. I'm God, I don't sleep. You need to wake up and put on strength. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Oh, put on, listen, you, you're like, a, like a drunk widow lying with no, no husband, no children, but God comes along and says, no, 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 you're mine. Put on that wedding dress. Put on your Easter best. Verse 2, shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Seated as in a throne, as in, come on, your royalty now. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. In this context, obviously Israel sold herself into slavery, but something has happened. God has acted out of his own sheer grace to loose the bonds of captivity. Now, look, I... I understand why, I think. I understand why preachers, when we get to Isaiah 52 too, and, and verses like this in the Bible, I totally get why we pull our punches a little bit. We don't press this point too far. What do I mean? You, you wanna be careful as a preacher. When, when a verse like this, what are the verbs? What does it say? I mean, God has set you free. Now shake yourself loose from the dust. Loose the bonds from your neck. The reason preachers are scared to push this issue too hard is we would never want anyone to think that you're saved because of your own ability or you're saved because of your own. Like, that's the whole point of being a prisoner. You can't escape. You need someone with the key from outside to break you out. But that, it's worth noting, of course only God can deliver. Of course only God can save. Of course this is by his grace. He has busted open the prison doors. But, uh... Walk out. <laughs> Does that make sense? He has broken the chain from around your neck, Israel. So, you know, take it off. Now, that may be obvious to you, but there are Christians, I'm convinced, for whom God has delivered, God has freed, and there they sit in their grave clothes and their bondage and their chains. They're wearing the clothes of their past life. Take off those filthy rags. Take off those garments. You are free. For freedom's sake, Christ has set you free. Now live like the free. There are people, I believe, who are wearing the, the bonds of legalism. That's from the old life. Trying to please God and please everybody else and constantly worried about your standing in front of everybody. Come on, man. Take off those chains of legalism. 
bound by addiction or selfishness or a judgmental spirit. Oh, put on grace. Over and over in the New Testament, that image is used. Take off the old self. You don't need malice. You don't need slander. You don't need envy. Why? Because you're a child of God. So put on your new clothes. Put on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what you should wear. Why take off that stuff? You don't need it anymore. You're free. Ever think about this question? What should a Christian wear to church on a Sunday morning? You know the answer? They should wear love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that's the only clothes I care about. I don't care what you wear as long as you wear love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Moths are going to eat all our garments anyway one day. A thief could break in and steal. Some of your garments the thief would want. Others, eh. Joking. All that stuff's wearing out. We're not worried about that. We're worried about what do we wear? What do we wear as believers? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In fact, it, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the tomb, you remember this? When Jesus raised Lazarus from the tomb in John 11, he comes up out of the, out of the grave, and there's old Lazarus with his four-day-old dead grave clothes. And what does Jesus finally have to I mean, everybody's in shock, so Jesus finally has to tell him the obvious. There's Lazarus. Jesus finally says what? off the grave clothes and let him go and there's Lazarus like and I'll take a bath right why because the man has been raised from the dead he doesn't need grave clothes grave clothes need to be left in the grave if you are a child of God leave your grave clothes in the grave don't bring that stuff from your old life you don't need selfishness anymore you don't need envy who are you going to envy you're a child of the king you don't need slander. Why? Who are you going to tear down? Your job's now to build up. Anybody can tear down a barn. It takes 12 good men to build. You don't need that stuff anymore. Wake up and get dressed. Why? Let's close with this. Why? Because we're going home. Wake up and get, look around. Wake up and get dressed. Wake up and let's go. We're going free. Look at this news. Imagine you're a city under siege. And, uh, and, and there you are, uh, uh, siege warfare is, is terrible. And here's the image in verse 7, if you want to skip ahead to verse 7. Siege warfare is, is, is horrific. We get a little bit of detail in God's word. We get a lot of detail from historical documents. I'm talking like basically the army would surround you and just wait for you to die, starve you out. There's stories of bad stuff, like cannibalism. I mean, it, it, it's bad. So your only hope is if something could break the back of that larger army and they have to leave, then there would be peace and a messenger would come and say, yeah, for whatever reason, honestly, you don't care the reason, you just know that that army is gone. Oh man, can you imagine? You're in siege warfare and every day you're praying, let something happen, something's gotta give that we could be free and then you see a messenger come over the, over the, over the rise. Look at verse seven. How would you describe that messenger? You would say, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. We're not going to die. We're going to be saved. And he's coming and he's publishing peace. You can come out. Let's eat. <laughs> who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. 
the voice of your watchmen. They lift up their voice. So we go from the solitary runner, the evangelist with the good news who's coming. Now there's a little choir. It's the watchmen. They lift up their voice. They're starting to, words starting to go out. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye. In other words, they see it with their own eyes. They see the return of the Lord to Zion. Hidden in here, of course, is just a little bit of prophecy. Zion's walls are in ruins. They have no walls. Nehemiah, remember, he went back and built up the walls. And so here he's saying, you have watchmen on the walls because you're going to have walls. <laughs> Break forth together singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. As the kids today would say, God's flexing on them. Okay, no one says that. I didn't know. I thought they did. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. All the ends of the earth. Look, nations. What is nations? Nations is Gentiles. That's every time you see nations or peoples in Isaiah, he's talking about people who are not ethnically Jewish. It's for everybody. And all the ends of the earth, Isaiah 52.10 says, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. You mean all the way to, to, to the Euphrates River? Mm-hmm. All the way to, like, Jerusalem? Mm-hmm. All the way to Egypt? Mm-hmm. What's beyond that? What if I told you there was a continent called North America? And inside that continent is a country called the United States of America. And inside that is a state called Alabama. And in the northern part of Alabama, in the most wonderful part, there's a little city called Coleman. Even there, anybody here seen the salvation of God? I have. Even there. Coleman, Alabama, look, you're right there in Isaiah 52.10. I don't know if Isaiah pictured you or not, but there you are. To the ends of the earth. What do you do with this great news? What do you do with this worldwide salvation? What do you do when you hear the good news of the gospel or you are a Christian and you are reminded of the good news of the gospel? What are you supposed to do with all this? I'll tell you what. Verse 11. Get out. (laughs) Depart. Depart. Go out from there. And on your way out, don't pick up the rotten things of Babylon. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Who would bear vessels of the Lord? Priests. Who's the priest? All y'all. There's the priesthood of all believers. All Israel, bear the vessels of the Lord. Leave, leave your Babylon. I, I, listen, here's where it gets complicated. I don't know what your Babylon is. You got to depart. As you were saved, you look back to stay on track. You look ahead at the great promises of God. You look around and realize, I don't have to fear these people. You, you get dressed in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You're getting used to your new clothes. Now, you, you got to leave your Babylon. I don't know what your Babylon is. Maybe your Babylon is selfishness. Oh, it's time to take your eyes off yourself. Get out, depart, and don't take anything from a selfish life with you. Maybe your Babylon, you need to leave your sin. You need to leave, maybe your Babylon is just grumpiness. You gotta leave your grumpiness. Man, the whole earth, the sun and the trees and the birds and even the clams are praising God with great joy. Who are you to be grumpy? Leave your Babylon of lust. Leave your Babylon of greed. Depart, don't take a single thing with you. There's a reason Paul the great champion of grace, Paul, in 2 Corinthians six seventeen quotes that verse. He says, depart. He's telling the people at Corinth how to live holy lives in an unholy place. He says, get out. Don't, don't, don't take anything from your old life into your new life. That's dead and gone. This is alive. And the best part is, verse 12, you won't even have to hurry like in the first exodus. Because in the first exodus, you had to eat your Passover meal sandals tied, and you had to get out of there. Here, you can take your time because God's completely defeated the enemy. And actually, Cyrus, 
the Persian emperor, he told the Jews, go home. Darius told him, you can go home now. You don't even have to run for your life like you did at Exodus. Go out, not in haste. Don't, don't, you should not go out in flight. For the Lord your God will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. You can go. You can go home. The enemy's defeated. Can you hear God whisper to you this morning? Wake up. Let's go. Let's leave that life of sin. Is that a word for you this morning? Can you hear him? You know the shame of this passage? You know the crying shame? Cyrus came and told the Jews, you can go home. Darius said, you can go home. Artaxerxes in the book of Nehemiah said, you not only can go home, you can go home and rebuild your walls and you can send me the bill. And only a fraction took him up on it. About 50,000 people left in the first, the return home under Zerubbabel. When Ezra took a group home, it was about 1,200. Fraction of the people who heard this great invitation to go home. A fraction said, we did. Why? Because after 70 years, you just get comfortable in Babylon. Is it possible you've just grown comfortable here? I mean, you look around, and we have a lot of wealth in America. We have a pretty good thing going. Do you still long for your heart's true home? Do you long for heaven? Has this verse reminded you this world is not our home? We're just passing through? We're pilgrims? Listen. Oh, be in the world, but not of it. Yes, in a sense, be comfortable here, but in another sense, never get comfortable here. Don't pretend this world is going to last. Don't spend all of our time and energy and money on things that are fading away. Now that's scary. I know. I, I think I know. I know the reason all those Israelites didn't immediately leave. I know why. Because they were scared. And because sometimes, what do they say? The devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. So God's saying, take this step of faith. Let's do a whole new life. Start living for me. Living for righteousness. You say, yeah, but these addictions are all I've known. And I've grown comfortable here. Yeah, but this self-pity and a victim, this is the only way I know how to interact with the world. I'm really comfortable here. I'm scared to go out there. I know. But you know who wasn't scared? The people who over and over had tested the goodness of God. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, when they said, who wants to go? Ezra was like, I'm out of here. Why? Because he knew the book of the law. Nehemiah said, I'll go. I guarantee you, I have no proof of this, but I guarantee you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like, I'll be on the first bus out of here. I, got, I don't want any more fiery furnaces. He was with me through the furnace, and that proves he'll be with me. And that's exactly what it says. Here's why you can leave your life of sin. Here's why. Christian, look, what does it promise? For I, the Lord, will be your vanguard and your rear guard. I will go before you, and I will guard your back. I got you. You can walk out in faith this week. Why? Christian, there, there is not a single second of this week that God hasn't already gone before you. That give you courage going into tomorrow? He's already there. there. There is nothing that will befall you this week that has not been filtered through his nail-scarred hands. He is before you. There's nothing you're going to face. He hasn't already faced. He's there right now. He's before you. And what about your past? Oh, your past. Satan now, he can condemn. He can accuse. What about this? You call, what about that? You, hey, what about this thing you did and that bad choice and all this failure and negativity? Who's going to guard you from your past? God says, I will. I'm your rear guard. And if you're going to listen to that from Satan, you realize you're, it's, you're having to ignore me. I got your back. There's nothing from your past. Nothing from your future. Nothing from your past. So get up. Look around. Get dressed. Let's go. Let's go. Leave that life of sin. You don't need it. That's... 51-52. However, <clears throat> all that remains to me 
from this passage that is curious is how. The little mystery that to me remains unsolved in these chapters and won't be solved till next week's chapters. How? How can God, who is perfectly just, perfectly fair, simply stop Israel's suffering and wrath? Like, I get, I'll take the cup and pour it out on all these evil, wicked people, those who oppose God and reject God. But how can God say to the exiles, okay, that's enough. I'll take the cup of wrath out of your hands, put it into your hands. I'm sorry, but like 70 years of exile is not enough wrath, so to speak. Like 70 years of exile doesn't make up, that doesn't undo generations of sin and evil all the way back to Adam. I mean, is God minimizing sin? Is he just sort of sweeping sin under the rug? Does God pour out wrath on some people, like the Babylonians and stuff, but he doesn't really pour out, you know, you're, you're, you're special, you're in this group, and you're in this group, and I'll just pour out my wrath on some. Is he being unfair? No. The answer, of course, is hidden in plain sight, as they say. It's in Isaiah 51, 22. Thus says your Lord, the Lord, your God who pleads the cause of his people, Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath. You will drink no more. Listen to me carefully. The only way, the cup of wrath for sin that you and I deserve, the only way it can be taken out of our hands is for him to take it into his own hands. And that's why on that Passover meal, they've been doing the Seder for thousands of years. Jews have been celebrating Passover meal. That cup of wine is the cup of wrath, the plagues poured out on Egypt. And Jesus, he did something new. He changed the Passover. You weren't supposed to do that because Moses instituted and you'd have to be greater than Moses to change it. And there was one greater than Moses and he changed it. And he said, this cup that you've always heard is the cup of wrath. Yeah, it's the cup of the new covenant in my blood. I'm going to drink this cup of wrath. I'm going to take it from your hands. And that's why Jesus, on, on the night he was betrayed, took the cup. And he said, this cup's the new covenant in my blood. And after he left that meal, he prayed in the garden. If there's any way, let the cup of wrath. What did he pray? If there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he himself, on the cross of Calvary, took the cup of wrath awaiting each of us. And he drank it to the dregs. Therefore, there's no more wrath for us to go around. He absorbed it for us and our salvation that we might wake up and go home. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for granting to us unworthy, undeserving, but loved to the stars. Thank you, God, for your love. For your people. Thank you that you didn't give up on us. Thank you, oh God, that you bore this cup of wrath for us and our salvation. So I pray you give everyone courage who is a child of God. Give them courage this week. Lord, let them wake up and look back to stay on track. Look ahead to avoid dread, anxiety, and fear. Look, look around at the things we fear. They're going down. I pray, oh God, that we can be dressed in the righteousness of Christ, clothed in what we need in the coming kingdom, not the current world we're in and I pray God that we would leave depart and take nothing from the old life into the new and there are some that are struggling there it's like they're in Babylon today would be a day they leave if someone God today hears this message hears this voice I pray oh God if they do not know you that today would be the day they're saved and they trust in you for salvation they trust that you drank that cup of wrath God 
for them. Out of great love, you gave your only begotten son. I pray that for them. I pray for those Jewish people who are ethnically Jewish. If they, if they hear this message, God, you touch their heart, that they would receive their own Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, that they would receive him and be saved. And thank you, God, for grafting we who are not ethnically Jewish into this great gospel story. God, we pray all this in the matchless name of our King Jesus. Amen. Just like last week, I'm going to ask you if you would to stand to your feet. Go ahead. And I, it occurs to me that we need some space, I guess, if that's the best word I can think, mentally and spiritually and emotionally. We just want to carve out a little space and sort of designate this a special moment, a holy moment of invitation, altar call. Pastor Scott will be here if you want to pray with a minister. If you want to come down forward and bow at the altar and just pray and just pour out your heart to God, that's just fine. If you want right where you are, if you want to respond to the message, you do whatever self-examination, ask the Holy Spirit to search you, but you want to work this message into your heart to see what good encouragement God has for you today. So you do as the Lord leads. This is God's time. Let's enjoy it in his presence. Enjoy responding to him. Chuck, lead us in a verse or two. Thessalonians chapter 5 it says now that may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ Amen